And you can live in the day. Welcome, everyone, to the show, Man in the Making. I have two student questions I wanted to get to. And this is Jake. I forgot where Jake lives, but Jake is somewhere in the U.S., I think over on the East Coast. He's been using the Zen Mind Academy and doing really well. The Academy has comment and question and answer features that you can actually ask me a question directly, or you can have a conversation with all other students who are on the same course as you. Jake is on the first course as he asked this question on developing self. I noticed that as I learn more about the mind and how life works, I have a tendency to feel superior to the people around me. How does one make sure that while on the path to self-worth, self-knowledge and wisdom, that they don't fall into the trap of becoming too full of themselves? I love this question because uh, I had a spiritual ego in the monastery. That's kind of what they call it in this world, a spiritual ego. And so when I was like maybe three years in or two or three years into the monastery, I was with my, uh, my class of five other guys, but there were three of us that were tight. We, we hung together every day. Uh, we lived in the same residency house. So we were like bunk mates, you know, we were flatmates. Um, and you know, that we were all the same age. So we had all the same humor and all the same relevant pop culture and music and stuff. So we got along real well. We were buds. I still, I still talk to one of them today and we're, we're, um, we're making all this progress and stuff. And, and I notice I'm starting to kind of excel at meditation and I have some, some really good experiences. I'm, I'm really understanding the classes and the teachings and I'm getting along with people and things are going real well. And we have this really big festival once a year. And it's a really special festival where it's called Mahashivaratri and you stay up in the middle of the night or you stay up all night. You don't go to sleep and you worship throughout the night. You meditate throughout the night. It's a real hardcore festival for yogis and people on the path. So I have this really deep experience in one of my meditations that night around like one o'clock in the morning, super deep. I feel, I feel like I've done it all after that night. Like next day I was, I was, I was on top of the world but it was kind of my first actual real spiritual experience. And if you zoom out and look at the whole picture, it's really just the beginning. Like I haven't even begun to step on the path yet, but when you're just starting out, you get these false enlightenment type experiences where it feels like you've made a lot of progress, but really it's a, it's a joke. It, you're actually just exposing the the first layers of who you really are and you ha- actually have to uncover 
a lot of the trauma and the pain and the reality of, of your dark side before you get to who you really are. So these first experiences are really blissful. They're like being on cocaine. They're, it's like you're high, you have so much love, but it's, it's, it's not the end. It's just getting started. So I, uh, I had my, my class a few days later uh, and we're all sitting in class with, with our guru. We, had, we sat with our guru once a week. And he's like, okay, so everyone just experienced their first uh, Mahashivaratri, first major festival of the monastery. How'd you guys do? You know, how was it? So he goes by one by one and everyone's like, you know, I, I had a really good experience. I felt the chanting was beautiful and it was fun staying up throughout the night. You know, everyone gave down to earth normal responses that, that people would give. And here I go. <laughs> My turn comes up and I'm hot stuff. And I'm like, I realize the self. I'm enlightened. I had, I, I, I've done it. <laughs> and my guru's just looking at me. And everyone's just kind of like looking at the carpet on the floor. And they're like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, this happens, though. And my guru's like, there's a little bit of a pause. And he's like, Okay. <laughs> Sounds like you've had a positive experience. <laughs> and, um, you know, deep down, he's like, what an idiot. Um, but, you know, he's, he's wise, right? So he's seen this for decades. Um, and my brother monks, the, my guys in my class, they just kind of, um, they don't really, they, they didn't really touch on it too much. You know, none of us really talked about it. It was almost like because of my, my ego, right? I was pulling my, I was pushing myself away from everyone. And I was kind of trying to stand out. And when you're on the path, trying to stand out is sometimes a bad thing. You don't really want to stand out. Um, you want to kind of blend in when you're on the path. And you want to keep your head down and you want to just focus on your work in those beginning stages. And, um, you know, I totally, totally went off the rails there. So interestingly enough, to end this story, um, I, after that, that day, I could not meditate for like a solid six months. I had an absolute terrible time. Um, I started to really um, clash with other people. I just couldn't get in the zone. I couldn't sit right. Like my, my body would start hurting in meditation. It was like started over. It was worse than starting over. And um, a few months later, I was talking to another monk about it and uh, I was learning more about spiritual ego and the, the monk I was talking to was like, the guru can take your progress away. And if it's not going well for you, he's gonna, he's gonna make sure that you get put in your place. 
And sure enough, I had no ability anymore. It was gone and it really sucked. And I had to kind of be humbled over the years. And I had to go through really difficult experiences. I had to understand what real humility was, how to speak in front of other people, how to not reveal everything all at once and who to talk to, who not to talk to, what to share with other people, you know, because you can make people jealous with your spiritual progress. It's, it, that's why monks don't talk about what they experience in meditation. It, it makes other monks feel bad. And it's like, duh, you know, if you're an, if you're on a company team and you're making all this progress and uh, you rub it in another team member's face, What's going to happen to team morality? It's going to go down because you're in the spotlight. So you have to <clears throat> have a really delicate balance in life of succeeding and, and helping others succeed at the same time. Your success is somehow needs to help everyone else at the same time or else it's not worth it. It's going to make everyone else resentful <clears throat> and it's going to make everything feel bad. So I had to learn that through spiritual ego. And uh, <clears throat> I met with my guru um, a few years later, you know, and, and we were talking about that experience. And, you know, he, he always subtly kind of hinted at that, that he, was, he was happy with you. He was happy about your progress and stuff. You know, and he was kind of like, well, I'm kind of glad we don't have to go through that again because it's tiring on me. And it looks like you've it looks like you've kind of uh, gotten past that hump. So let's move on from that. And the guru is powerful. And he doesn't even know what he does. You know, it just happens. It's a weird kind of magical, mysterious thing. You know, it's not like he's in the back room and he's got a little doll of me and he's like doing some kind of voodoo stuff, right? It's just this, it's just this process on the path of having a role model and the role models, vibrations and energies and thoughts can have an effect on you. And it's a really, it's an inner world experience. It's not really of this world that much. The mechanics and everything are not really going on in the physical plane. I know, I know, I know how that is because I had to go through it myself. So what I told Jake was, I said, I said, spiritual ego can and does happen to us all. While we learn to manage our ego, we must remember that everyone starts out where we once were. The key tenet here is compassion. Seek an attitude of solidarity, right? That means togetherness with both the common man and the sage, and you will be on your way to relating to all people in any situation. A true quality of an evolved soul. To know that we are, to know that we are what we see in another is a good reminder that if we see weakness, it's weakness in ourselves. So, so the point of this is, as we progress on the spiritual path or financial path or in life or whatever, as we progress, if we start to judge other people and see a weakness in someone and feel superior, 
you need a reality check that what you're seeing in someone else is actually a reflection of, of something inside you. So if it wasn't, you wouldn't see it. So it's important to use those as, as moments of solidarity and, and to bring you closer to people. So I always recommend on the path with friends, acquaintances, and people, and Arthur and I was actually, we're actually just talking about this. Let's say we see someone who needs help, they have a weakness. Try to, try to see yourself in that person and say, well, I can see how I could go through that too. So I'm going to try to help this person. I'm not going to try to be superior and push them away. I don't need to be, I don't, I don't need to pretend that there's toxic people. Maybe I can help those people. Now the current theme of pop culture right now is toxic, like stay away from toxic people, how to get away from toxic people. And the, the, the actual, and at times you do need to get away from people that are, that are difficult to be around. But when you're, if you really are advanced, when you really are at that level where you're making progress, eventually you'll be able to help those toxic people. You'll be able to kind of bring them under your wing and keep them close and they'll learn from you. And if you're having trouble with people, if you have quote unquote toxic people, it just means you're not able to manage your own energy. It means that you're not as good as you thought you were. And you have some, you have some work to do. It's not the other person. It's not the toxic person. They'll figure it out too, right? Or maybe they won't. But for you, you need to be able to be in a room of all kinds of different people and be able to agree and get along with every single one. That's how you know you're making progress. Uh, I like that. And that's something I've seen in other people. Wow. Look at what you just said. And I was about to say, this is what I've seen in other people. But the point I'm trying to make is I've seen people who, when they judge other people for things, then they become, they start to think that other people judge them for the same things and they just bring in more stress into their lives from judging other people. Judging other people is exhausting. It's all mental energy. Coming home at the end of the day and talking shit about someone else, um, complaining about someone else, <clears throat> it's like, what are you doing? Like you're wasting your time, you're wasting your energy. And it's, it's especially difficult when you see it, you see someone else doing that. And I've, I've learned to just, you know, it's not easy. Like when you're in a relationship, for example, part of, part of a conversation is going to inevitably end up in commiserating, right? Commiserating is like emoting with someone else, listening to their pains and and agreeing with them and, and supporting them throughout their, their current mood. But what I've tried to do is, and I've been in this situation for, for the last 15 years I've got, I've got right. This is just a normal part of conversing with people. Uh, what you, what, what I've learned to do is you just try to kind of carefully shift the conversation carefully move it away from the other person and try to put it back on the individuals in the conversation 
So for example, yesterday I was talking to someone and they were kind of frustrated with someone else and they were talking about it. And I said, well, how can you be responsible? You know, where in that story could you have done a little better? And they said, well, I guess I could have reminded them it was a birthday, a forgotten birthday, right? And it was like, oh, he forgot about their birthday. I was like, well, did you remind him that it was their birthday? No. Well, maybe you should have reminded them. And, and it naturally kind of puts the responsibility back on you. And doesn't mean that you're wrong. Yeah, they should have remembered the birthday, whatever. Who cares, right? Because they already forgot. You're, the words you just said have no meaning whatsoever. Yeah, they forgot. Like, you cannot go backwards. It's a waste of time and energy to get upset at something that's already happened. It's, it's much more productive to, to say, you know, make that as short as possible. Make those, those complaints as short as possible and then immediately say, next time I'm going to remind them. Next time I'm going to remind them that there's a birthday. My sisters remind me that there's birthdays in the family. I'm really thankful they do that because sometimes I forget because I'm actually a terrible person. And <laughs> I'll, for, I'll forget about a really important birthday. And, and uh, lately, uh, I haven't been forgetting. And I still get those reminders. And I'm like, boom, thank you. On it. Got it. But if I, if I forgot for some reason, that reminder would have been super helpful. And, you know, it actually just opens up another line of communication. And it's like, oh, hey, thanks for the reminder. By the way, how are you doing? I mean, there's all these kinds of ways to shift and flow with reality and turn things around. And a lot of times we'll get stuck at one area of the situation when we could have just kind of curved it a little bit and entered into a new reality, a much more harmonious reality. So yeah, always try to take responsibility and, and you gotta be, you gotta be aware that it's going to be responsibility built on the fact that, that they were wrong anyway, but who cares? The universe does not care that someone's wrong. No one cares. Like at the end of the day, I know you want whoever's wrong to be put on a, um, a stage and stoned and everyone to boo them, but it ain't going to happen. It's going to be swept under the carpet and you got to move on with your life. At the end of the day, everything is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to add when you mentioned before about toxic people. I think when you're starting out, it is better to avoid those people because they can still influence your thinking and mindset. So until what they say no longer has an effect on you, I think it would be better to just ignore them if they're having a negative impact on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. There's a, there's a, it's tough to express there's a timeline there it's not like oh do this and it'll work forever it's it's like it really depends on where you're at because if you're gonna freak out 
if you're in a situation that you cannot handle, don't, you definitely can't try to be this, this powerful, effective motivator, right? Because you're on the verge of losing it. You better, you better back away. That's going to be the better result. Back off, back off, leave, leave the room, leave the situation, avoid that person until you're able to understand yourself and that person a little bit more. And then you can be an effective motivator. But yeah, if you're just going to cause more problems because you're adding emotion onto emotion, doesn't help. Doesn't help. Doesn't help you. Doesn't help the other person, right? Doesn't help anyone. And so we want to help ourselves first, right? And then we want to try to be the peacekeeper. Can't be the peacekeeper though if we're holding a loaded gun and we're ready to fire it at anyone. You have to, uh, as as uh, my guru's guru used to say, you got to you got to surrender. Lower your arms. Put down your hands. Like or put your hands up, right? Surrender. So if you're, if you're tense and fully ready to fight, you're going to become the toxic person too. You, you, you enter into their, their world at that moment. And that's tough. That's really tough. Eventually it kind of becomes a fun game to play. In what way? Uh, Because, uh, because you get good at it. You get good at, at navigating those, those moments and you, you see it coming and you're like, yes, you know, it's like, um, you know, seeing the, like being good at anything and seeing before it happens. Right. And then, you know, before everyone, what's about to happen, it's kind of fun becomes, it becomes a game. And then I guess trying to take them into your domain instead of them taking you into theirs. Yes. Yeah. Ring. You try to. You try to. You try to see if they can. If they can handle that um, higher vibration, that more refined area. Um, and if they can't, one of the best things you can do is just close your mouth, be quiet, move on, let them let them do what they're gonna do, and and be like, I'm out of here. I've had to do that, you know other uh, uh, the other person just wasn't willing to kind of calm down i said hey i'm out of here i'm gonna go and and take a walk when you're able to calm down then we can actually talk about this logically then we can do that it doesn't help to immediately uh, proactively attack things at times sometimes the most proactive thing you can do is smile and shut up All right, this is a good one. Last question from Jake. He is in the subconscious uh, training course, the, the basement, we call it. So the, the conscious mind has a, uh, you go into the conscious mind of the first floor of the house there, and the, that house has a basement. We call that the subconscious. In, in the Zen Mind Academy, we have the conscious subconscious uh, matrix training videos where we talk about how to navigate uh, what we talk about, what those are and how to navigate them. So he uh, brings up a really good point here in this, in the conscious subconscious matrix video, you said that if we have a question in our awareness for too long and that question goes unanswered, we start to go insane. 
it sounds like the spiritual process is all about dipping in and out of insanity. There are so many deep questions about reality that confuse the mind, like who am I, what is reality, that people have explored and I believe have found answers to. Now, I'm going to pause there and, and kind of attack this first part. What Jake is talking about is people will go crazy trying to answer questions. Um, it, it kind of, when, when an unanswered question is spinning in your mind, sometimes it can really throw you off and it can make you lose it because you're just trying to figure out what's going on. That's what he's referring to. Any answers to these questions that I have read are just opinionated knowledge for me on my journey. I notice that most people get stuck in life because they trick themselves with a false sense of having found an answer. They find a path or belief that someone else has said as an answer, and then they follow it, and they believe that they know as the other person knows. So what he's saying here is about opinionated knowledge is <clears throat> when we when we hear information, you know, listening to this podcast is, is it can be opinionated knowledge. It's truth that I've experienced and I'm expressing it to someone else. If you haven't experienced it yourself, <clears throat> it's in the realm of opinionated knowledge, meaning it's not quite fully truth yet for you because you haven't experienced it. When you get to the point in life where you, you practice it, right? Practice what you preach or whatever, or, in this term, in this way, practice what someone else has preached. When that happens for you and it works, it becomes truth. It becomes true knowledge, right? It becomes um, wisdom because you can apply that knowledge that you've learned. And, you know, if it's working, you, you should keep that. If it doesn't work, then you know that, that someone else thinks that, but you think someone different, right? So it's always important to keep these things even if they don't work. It's important to have them in your arsenal as a worldview that someone else keeps, right? The same thing that works for Jeffrey Dahmer isn't gonna work for, for me. But we do know that those viewpoints exist. For reference, Jeffrey Dahmer was a murderer. So his truth is not gonna work for everyone else, it's not gonna work for most people. But it's important to know that it is his experience, that that works for him, which is insane, but people are insane. So what Jake is asking essentially is, is how do we know that we're living our truth and not the truth of someone else? He goes on to say, my question is, if we were all seeking truth, how do we know which one is true? Are there any true points? Or should we choose the ones that work the best for us in our life and most effective? How do we know that we aren't just fooling ourselves with a false sense of certainty about something? Hopefully, I am understanding this correctly and making sense. And that makes perfect sense, right? I think we've talked about it before and, and, and we'll talk about it again because these, these things don't go away. Uh, and it's a really good question. Like we may feel like we're doing the right thing, but it may not be right. And I mean, I, I, man, 
it takes me back to my training period where I thought I was right on a bunch of stuff and I would be proven wrong on a daily basis. And it, that was so, so crushing, so difficult because one moment I would wake up knowing I knew what was going on. I knew the pattern. I knew the flow. I'd be confident. And all of a sudden, it just did not work in the field. It did not work. And it backfired. And I got into arguments. And people were like, what are you doing? You're not in charge here. Shut your mouth. And it's like, damn it. I thought I knew what I was doing. And that in and of itself is a part of your truth, right? It, the, the irony of it is that that needs to happen. You need to try something in order to see if it works. You can't just say, you can't go from the perspective of, well, I'm still learning and I don't know if it's going to work. So I'm just going to sit here and not say anything. And I'll never I'll never go out on a limb. I'll never ruffle any feathers. It'll, I'll be really good. I'll listen to what everyone says. It just doesn't work like that. And if that's you, and man, it, you will not be effective because you'll never feel what it's like to kind of slowly inch your way forward. And, and the path of, of progress and success in life is like slowly inching your way into this big bonfire. And you have to see which burn hurts bad enough to where you have to back away and which, which way is, is doable and which way is hot, but it works. And you kind of, you will experience friction in life and that's important and we need to do that. But what I answered is Jake, you're correct in your speculation. Navigating the truths of life are what make life so complex. It's not one size fits all. My guru said that truth is relative. What works for you is truth. What works for me is truth. As long as our system is working, we should be able to use that as our guide. Right? So what I'm saying here is if it's working, keep going. You've, you've hit a point where you've hit a stride. And you can roll with that truth for a while. I go on to say, however, as soon as our truth is no longer viable, we must have the capacity to manipulate our own bias and learn a new concept. Right? We have to be able to break our own understanding of what we thought was true. The opposite is cognitive dissonance, meaning People will have a truth. They'll have something they think is real. They'll find out that it's not real. It's not helpful. It's not working. But they'll lie to make the truth continue. They'll lie. They'll change reality to, to fit that truth. And that's a very dangerous place to be. I was messing around with a monk once. And... Um, it was all good and fun. It started out fun. It was like, he was talking about how many states there were. And I mean, this is like, we were just totally goofing, right? Cause this is a dumb subject. So he was like, there's, there's 50 states. And I was like, no, there's 51. There's 51 states. 
was like, you got to count Alaska or something. We weren't near a computer, so there was no Googling. And I genuinely thought there was 51, right? 51 sounded so much truer to me. And he's like, no, there's 50 states. And I was like, no, no, there's 51. <laughs> and uh, we eventually got back to a computer and he was like, hey, look, dum-dum. See what I just Googled? It's 50 states. And I was like, no, no, there's 51. I know it, I know it. <laughs> And where he's going over the 50 states and he's like, this, this. He's like, what you're talking about was a 50th state. It wasn't, it wasn't a 51st state. And I was like, no, no, I remember that as 51. So we, he, we eventually got into an argument. And I was reframing my own mind to fit 51. Mm-hmm. And in truth, I should have said, oh, man, there's 50. <laughs> Now, this is, a, this is a minor occurrence, right? In this podcast, in my teachings, we always go from mundane, simple stuff to the extreme because it's important. We always experience both. Our friends, our, our circle of friends, our joke, our joke moments in life are going to be the mundane, right? Oh, 50 states, whatever. There's no serious consequence to being wrong at that moment. Now, there's going to be moments where we talk about serious life issues that have serious consequences. And we're going to have cognitive dissonance. We're going to change the shape of our mind. We're going to reframe and reshape everything and lie in order for our truth to continue going on. Right. For some people that's, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't, it's not a big deal. Okay. I know what an alcoholic is. You know, I just, I just drink to loosen up. You know, it's, it's just, a, it's just, you know, I feel much better when I drive and I've had a drink. You know, it's just one. And it's not a big deal. I actually drive better when I drink a little bit. And, and this will go on. This will persist. Right? For, the, for that person who's lying to themselves, they're going, you know, they're actually an alcoholic and they're going to try to live a certain truth. But, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the best path forward. It's, and eventually that's not going to work for them. So I continue, I ended by saying the art of truth eventually boils down to shifting what works not declaring that one thing works now and forever. So in, in the path that we're all on of, of finding out what works, we love to find out the one thing that works. Give me that one thing and I'll do it. Just tell me one thing that I need to do and I'll, I'll make it happen and it'll work, right? And it's just not how things are. Because in this upcoming week ahead, there'll be one thing that I should do that helps me get through the week, that helps me thrive through the week. But the week after that, it's going to be something else. And I have to be able to be so fluid and flexible that I can recognize when, when one truth has run its course and another one is ready to take its place. And that's the, that's the ultimate, right? 
one method. To not have methods. That's the ultimate way to be flexible. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a, the statement is a, is a, like a paradox, right? Where there is no one way except for this one way. And it's, it's, the truth is there, there is no one way, right? That's the way. It's just a funny sentence, but it makes sense, right? I mean, if that doesn't make practical application of that with Miyamoto Musashi. Yeah. How, how do you mean? Um, in terms of his fighting style, he, his philosophy yeah. for fighting style. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 it's such a beautiful reflection and I'll never forget that one day I was, so I woke up right in my hut and I was walking in, right? So I'm on a dirt road. Basically we lived in huts and the compound that we all started our day at, um, the temple and the kitchen, um, that was the main compound temple kitchen dining room kind of area it was one big stone building and we lived about a quarter mile away from that building and what connected us was dirt roads in the jungle here so we got as we walk in to the main compound Uh, on these dirt roads, you got lakes to the, or creeks kind of to one side, you got banana trees, you got big banyan trees, and you're kind of just walking through this paved road. And um, I'm walking in one day and it's like, I've hit a, I've hit a wall with what I think I know. And it's just not working. Everything I'm trying is not working. And we're talking about months and months of friction in my life. And it's not working with other people. I'm, I'm, I'm always getting into arguments with everyone. Um, I'm just not as fast as everyone. I'm not as good. I'm, I'm realizing that I'm not as good as I think I am. And I'm like, well, what works? What, what do I do? How do I work with other people? How do I, how do I engage and communicate with other people knowing that nothing I do is going to work? And this insight kind of like hit me and I stopped for a second and I said to myself, I need to not know anything. I need to stop thinking I know anything. And if I know nothing, then I'll be able to know everything. And it's the same kind of um, Socratic belief, right? Socrates was famous for saying, I know nothing. We know not is a famous saying in all of philosophy. Um, And it means that and it's the same thing in Wu Wei. It's the same thing in jujitsu. The more you know, it's going to prevent you from, from being fluid and adapting to a new situation, to new data. And if you knew something and all of a sudden you get hit with new data, it's going to be very hard to accept the new data. So you need to be all accepting of data. And that 
I thought to myself as I walked into the laundry area, I'm going to not know anything all the time. I'm going to forget that I know anything. And I'm going to stop knowing. And that was kind of a turning point for me because I could be fluid. I could finally accept what someone was saying on one day. And if another team member changed something, I could accept that too. And I could see what worked and what didn't work. I could be an empty vessel. Go ahead, Rokas. What is that making you think? Don't you still need to filter all the information through critical thought? Like take it all in, but then filter it. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, that's the intelligence right behind the philosophy. It's the filter. I mean, we need a filter, right? We need to know some things. But once that basic, and that's, that's unavoidable. In other words, there's nothing you could prove to me that convinces me to that jumping off this bridge is going to be good for me, right? Um, you can't take the, that, that kind of foundational instinctive knowing away from you. You can't. It's in there. It's built in. Fire is hot, right? No one is going to convince me, hey, if you just put your hand in this flame for a while, it'll make you a million dollars. Like, I can't know nothing at that moment, right? I, I, I know that that's not true. But what I'm saying is that this, this not knowing is, is specific to communicating with other people with preconceived notions and, and, and harmoniously getting along with other people and speaking correctly. And it's such a, it's such a complex subject, but it, it, once it hits you, you realize that you can use it at times and you can't use it others. And, but when you're, even when you're not using it, even when I know something, I can still speak in a way that gives another person respect and another person um, can feel good about me knowing more than they do. And I can somehow not know. And the way you do that in conversation is, I think this is in the book, which you can get on Amazon, everything is your fault. Um, <laughs> you, you, say, you say certain things before you speak. You say certain phrases before you start getting into what you know. Oh, for example, I'll never forget one of the monks. He would always say, you already know this. But today we're going to um, change out the old cache on our, on our website. And we're going we're gonna to shift everything to a new server. I'm just reminding you guys. And it was like, no one was taken off guard because the first thing you heard is you already know this. And it was this air of respect. It was like, I don't mean to throw this on you guys and I don't want to change everything up, but you knew this was coming. We need to kind of clean up the back end of the website. And I'm not throwing this on you. I'm kind of incorporating what we've been talking about over the last year. And he, he can't say all that. That just kind of is too much. So what he says is, I know you already know this, but this is what's going to happen today. Or 
you could even say, you probably know this already, but right that that you can you can start to give someone that that respect and appreciation, and then immediately change it up on them, and it kind of softens them up a little bit, right? They surrender. It's like, oh, this person is is accepting that I'm I could be on the same intellectual level with them, and I'm going to keep listening to them. But if he was if if he if we were to walk in and he was going to say, here's what you're going to do. You're going to change this out because we've been talking about this and this is what I want. It would have been like, oh, but we can't switch so fast. The new server isn't ready, blah, 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 blah. So all of a sudden, we have a shield up, a defense. So the art of communication and, 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 and working with other people requires you to give other people the respect that they deserve that they may already know what you're talking about They or or they need to feel like they know what you're talking about in order for them to not be so damn defensive. It's like this instinctive reaction. Oh. What part of the ego is attacked during that? If you don't acknowledge someone and you just, where you said, go into it saying you did that, you did that. So yeah. What part of the ego is then put up? Oh, well, there is no individual parts to the ego. It's all ego, right? The ego is a self-preserving mechanism. So if Raj is coming to Rokas, right? We got two egos coming at each other. Raj knows Raj. Rokas knows Rokas. And anything else is questionable, okay? We're all walking around with that mechanism. It's ego. It's self-preserving. Raj needs to be Raj. If Raj isn't Raj... We've got a problem. If Raj, if a concept A is starting to not be real, we've got a problem. We need to preserve concept A. I need this to be real. That's what the ego is saying all the time. I need this to be real. In order, in order for my life to make sense. All right. So then all of a sudden, Rokas comes up to Raj and says, hey, concept A it ain't working anymore. We're going to concept C. We're switching out everything we knew and we're going to relearn the system the way it's being taught to us. And now you've got an identity problem. Everything I thought I knew about concept A is no longer true. But the ego is, is, needs to save face. That's what saving face means. Preserve your identity. No, Rokas, concept A is still viable. We still need US dollars. We can't switch over to Bitcoin completely. And you're like, Bitcoin is, is replacing the US dollar. Don't you realize that there's <laughs> deflation in the US dollar and Bitcoin is going to be above it? And my whole world is based on real USD. It's based on real money. Ones, fives, tens. I can't, we can't change that. And you're like, have you been paying attention to the last 20 years? Crypto is, is here. And I'm like, no, it's going to be zero. It's going to go away. This is just a fad. And you're like, tell that to the people selling it, buying at 40,000 a coin. So the, we have these concepts. We have these things that we think are, are that need to be preserved. And if, if I can, if I can be fluid and you say, look, Raj, um, today we're switching Probably over to know this, but yeah. 
we're switching over to, you know, yeah, you, I, I know you know this, but we're switching over to Bitcoin or, or you may already know, but uh, we're switching over to Bitcoin. And it's, it's both, it's, it's the har- harmony is on both of us, right? It's on your subtle entry into bursting my concept. And it's me being fluid and saying, ah, that's amazing. So, okay, so concept A that has worked for the last 34 years of my life is now switching over to concept C. That's awesome. That's so fascinating. Okay, let's, how do we do that? What is the first step? Because our mind sees the whole totality. Our mind is really good at seeing the finished product. And it, it, it struggles with working out every single step all at once. And it's like, oh my God, that's a momentous job. Okay, let's, let's, it, 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 it's where that critical thinking comes in and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Obviously, this isn't going to happen overnight. This is an international project. We need secure. This is going to be so secure and done carefully. This is going to be a step-by-step process. That's the critical thought voice. So if I have that, I have awe and fascination and hope with your anomaly, right? You've shifted. You've shifted what I thought was true. You've given me chaos, right? The chaos, the dragon of chaos is breathing fire. And I'm, I'm not fearful, but I'm hopeful. Oh, I'm in awe of a new potential, a new possibility, digital currency. And instead of being fearful, I replace fear with hope. And then I critically break down. I chunk this massive project into steps. And I, and I, in, in this new paradigm, I go, okay, what's the first step? Like, how do we start crawling before we can walk? So if I can do that, then I become an effective, powerful person. And if I can do that with you, the momentous transfer from USD to crypto becomes a little easier and that's harmony. And if, if we can have the same mind, right, changing concepts with fluidity, then we can really have a dynamic team and we can move along faster. Where if I'm old school, right, and I'm like, no, no way, can't happen, can't work. There's no system that exists like that. That, that person is, a, is a, a break in the chain and it's going to be very difficult to, to have this nice flow and this harmony. And so, you know, one of the reasons the monks got so many things done and so quickly is because we had this smooth transition of ideas and you have to be fluid. You have to be flexible, but you also have to know how to give other people groundbreaking, you know, foundational breaking information. You have to know how to be sensitive to that. And if the two people can work together, right? Or what if it's 10 people? What if it's 100 people working together like that? What if it's 5,000 people working together like that? There's no, there's no limit to what that group can get done, right? So I'll never forget that moment that I was walking on that dirt road. I stopped and I, and I realized that my holding on to concepts moment to moment was preventing me from learning new things. It was preventing me from accepting 
other people and their perspective. It's so important to hold, to keep their perspective and to, to hold it for a minute. And it doesn't have to be correct. Okay. Someone can be telling you absolute garbage. And if you can critically think and say, well, I see how that person is, is viewing life. That's so interesting. That's so fascinating that, that they can think that way. I wonder what there is to that. You know, I still know what I know. I'm not, I'm not just cause I know nothing. It doesn't mean I'm removing information. Maybe I need to just move it out of the way a little bit. Like I know how to work on cars, right? I know how to change the oil of a car. I know how to replace a tire, fix a flat tire. Um, just because someone comes at me with an electric vehicle and says, you know what? There is no oil in this car. I don't need to say, oh my God, I know nothing about cars. It's like, oh, okay. 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 I accept what you're saying. The oil part of my mind is the folder is going to be put, moved over here. I still know how to mess with the tires, same axle and everything. So if my Tesla has a flat tire, I still know what to do, but I can change the oil concept of the car, right? And this should be happening instantaneously, instantaneously as new information is coming in. We can subtly change the hierarchy of, of concepts to being valuable and not valuable and storing those in, in somewhere where we may need them again. Cause I may not always be in a Tesla. I should be able to go from Tesla to Ford and back and forth instantaneously. And today I'm in a Tesla tomorrow. I'm back in a Ford and it needs an oil change up oh, higher, hierarchical value shift. Boom. Oil comes back in the forefront. Yep. I know how to do that. Hasn't been that long. I can still do that. And I'm my old information is still relevant because it's brought into the new. So, we need to be able to make these decisions uh, all the time, all day, every day. And, and if we can do that, uh, there's no limit to what we can achieve. You know, and, and, and it's difficult because... Uh, People have serious traumas. People are going through serious depression, um, suicidal thoughts. You know, new information that is devastating is coming at us all the time now, right? Like current events. What current event right now is not devastating to what we used to know? It's like everything is changing all of a sudden. But you have to kind of zoom out a little bit and realize that it's nothing new, nothing new about new things, man. When I was in another life or, you know, back 200 years ago, all this horse was all I knew as transportation. And now someone is telling me that I don't need a horse anymore. Yeah. Right. Are you kidding me? We've been riding horses for thousands of years. Now someone says that there's a, 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 a thing that moves you around on, on wheels. Yeah. Okay. 
So, you know, we went from wooden bridges to steel bridges. We went from uh, uh, building things on the earth to building things on concrete. We went from roads that were made out of, of nothing to roads that were paved. Um, we went from not understanding nature to being able to calculate when nature was going to strike. There, there, uh, there has always been concept changes that are just drastic. And it's happened throughout history. Like we used to eat raw food and then someone is like, oh, you actually cook it first. And you're like, what? So there's nothing new. Like, oh, we don't use, we don't use uh, paper money anymore. Done. What's the next thing? What's everyone using now? Let's do it. You know, like, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's evolve. Let's do it again. You know, and, and, one day the we're going to be in space. Like there's going to be a, you can go study for six months at a, at a space program and, and grow food in space. And you're going to be, you're going to be in a movie, right? A futuristic movie where people have massive space civilizations. That's going to be a thing. You have to accept that. You have to accept it when it happens. You should be able to say, yeah, sign my kid up. <laughs> That would be amazing, right? And then, you know, you see it from Earth. You look up in the sky and you're like, yeah, that's, that's uh, C25, the school for growing food. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where we're going. And, and we're always going somewhere, you know, to the point where, oh, yeah, the two-party system, yeah, that, that disbanded in 2025. We... we Gosh, I remember when we used to have right Republican and Democrats. Right now, it's a, now it's a one-world civilization, and we all kind of just think in smaller um, societies. And what's good for this society doesn't work for another one because they're in a, um, a much hotter climate. So the laws are different over there. I mean, that's the thing, and we see the we see polarities all the time in the world. We see the left, we see the right. We see, what we're looking at is the, the inability to critically adapt and to think and to adapt to new truth. We see that in the world because that's the mind is, is very, um, it's very stuck on one thing. So to look at the news is to look at the mind of people. And that's a perfect way to, to observe and to know and, and to know different things. Okay. Some people are stuck on believing this. Some people are stuck on believing that and they're going at it. Look at that. That's amazing that they can't see that they're actually the same. They can't see that, that they, bo they both actually want the same things. Happiness, contentment, security, um, warmth, you know, abundance, they both want the same thing, but they want it in slightly different ways. And they think a little differently about each thing. Instead of ripping your hair out and being, oh my God, we're all going to die. You just, you just observe and you adapt and you're like, okay, um, this is happening, right? And when things change, we, we, we adapt, we change with it, and, and we, we hold on to values that we believe in, 
And God hope that we don't have to, to test our values, you know, in, in, in armed conflict. That's always the worst case scenario, right? And that was the American revolution. We have values here now. We don't align to your tax values anymore. And this is how much we believe in it. So that's, that's always a possibility when, when the mind needs to preserve its values. And I'm the first one to say, Oh, absolutely. If, 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 if I'm, if my values are being tested on a foundational level and I need, and I need to defend them, then that's the newest thing. Okay. We need to do that. Someone wants to take my home. I'm not going to say, Oh, I know nothing. You can have my home. No, I'm going to say, no, no, no. This is required for my continued existence. Um, the, the value of defend comes up, right? The critical thought system comes up and says, Raj, you better defend your home because your family is in the home, right? So I'm going to change my set of values and, and I'm going to go from philosopher to soldier, right? And when that's over, I'm going to go back to philosopher and I'm going to go back and forth as needed, hopefully not needing to be soldier as much as possible, but it's in there, right? It's a reality that is in there. It's in the toolbox and it's, it's, if needed, I can use. It's a Boolean. If this, then that. If not this, then that. So, man, who knew we were going to get into that today? Did. <laughs> nice. I like that. Rokas, any, any closing thoughts? Mm-hmm. So what I was thinking of when you were saying the last thing was everyone has different experiences in life. So they build up their own frameworks of reality and then they look for things that fit those frameworks. So especially for political views, they look at things which will fit their framework. And then once they have that, they then believe in it and yeah, they try to impose it on other people because to them it seems like the right thing. And then you have that conflict between political opinions. But it's as you were saying, um, we want the same thing. It's just because of our different experiences in life and like the different ways we see reality, we don't realize that that is what we're striving for. The same thing. So yeah. Right, right, right. And, and the challenge comes in where what I believe and what you believe are we're, we're conflicting. For, for a certain reason, we're, we have such a high degree of conflict that all of a sudden we're now going from an intellectual debate to a physical debate, right? There's physical conflict. There's storming the capital and like that's going to change something. So we have to have, okay, if we, if we want to be in a high society, if we want to have enlightened civilization, enlightened society, which, which some of us want, right? We have to be enlightened. So in order for that to happen in the, in the Hindu scriptures, anyways, a lot of time has to go by and, and a global consciousness needs to increase. So we need to raise our consciousness globally. Um, children being born need to learn about meditation. Um, uh, CEOs need to, to, you know, understand the person at the bottom of the company just as much as the, their assistant. Um, 
in order to be a space uh, faring civilization, right? We need to be up in space with high minded people because there ain't going to be anywhere to go. There's not going to be anywhere to conflict except for on the spacious spaceship itself. And you're going to be in such a confined place. And I mean, even a massive civilization in, in, in space is going to be confined, right? There's going to be a wall where there's no oxygen. So, um, we're going to need to bring uh, intelligent, refined people. Now, on the way to that part of history, there's these conflicts. So we need to make sure that that when, you know, if we need to enter into that mind state, mind state, we have to ask ourselves: Is this absolutely important? And let me go. Let me go to a movie real quick because movies are a really good way to explain something. I was just watching The Patriot the other day, and The Patriot is a Mel Gibson movie. It's freaking awesome. I love that movie. First time I ever saw it. It's like a twenty-year-old movie. It's about the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War, where we were going to war with England, and. Mel Gibson was a plantation owner. He had a big family. Uh, he, he, everyone was harmonious. He didn't own slaves. He had like free laborers. They were free. He freed them. And, and they were like, oh, we love the conditions here. We like the pay. We're going to stay here. And, uh, and he's like, great. Um, so it was a win-win, right? You raise your family here. I raise my family. We all work together. And you can leave whenever you want. And, and so... He was some kind of military uh, strategist, right? So the government was like, hey, um, Mel Gibson, we're going to war and we need your help. We believe in these values and we need you to help defend our values for this new country, this new enlightened society, right? So it's happening real time. And Mel Gibson goes, well, I have a family. Everything's good where I'm at. And I'm not going to fight your war. It's probably not going to work well. A lot of people are going to die because you guys don't know what the hell you're doing on a, on a broad scale, right? Because the, the American, the Revolutionary War in America was mostly fought by farmers. There was no military. It was all English soldiers. So luckily we got help from uh, France. But so eventually he's, he's, he's like, he got home from farming one day and, uh, the war came to him. The war came to his front doorstep. So wounded soldiers were coming on his porch. They were helping them. They were helping both sides. There was American soldiers and there was Brits and they were both bleeding out on his porch. So his family was helping everyone, right? He's kind of a high-minded guy. He's kind of, a, kind of a smart guy. And this British uh, English soldier, uh, general, um, comes up with his platoon and, um, and says, oh, you're, it's a crime to help both sides. If you're not with us, you're a traitor and we kill traitors. And he's like, look, I'm just trying to help people. You take your war for someone else. And he's kind of like trying to politely stand up for his values. And then his, his youngest son is shot and killed. 
And the general's like, I'm not playing around. This is war. I'm going to kill your entire family. And all of a sudden, he realizes at that moment, I can no longer peacefully stand up for my values. I have to join the armed conflict. I have to participate in order to fight for what I believe in. And he tried to resist so much. He tried to resist. He tried to take the high road, but it did not work. Right? He tried one truth, and eventually that truth came crashing down and failed. But what did he do? Boom. Shifted to another truth. Grabbed his guns, grabbed his sons, and said, uh, killed the whole platoon when they weren't looking. And it was really an awesome scene, and he did it with an axe. And, and it was like awesome adventure action kind of stuff in a movie, but it was also like you can take a man who's intelligent and, and, and wise and useful and creative, and you can turn him into a savage if his values are pushed too far to the edge. And you've got to be able to respect that transition because it's real and it happens all the time. So, you know, you've got you've to hold on to that high-minded part of you for as long as you can. And that's all you can hope for. And then what you want is that savage to be on the ready, prepared to do what's needed for survival. You don't deny him. Don't, don't lie to yourself that, oh, everything's going to be perfect as we become an enlightened society. No. Someone is, one day is going to test your values. You know, I hope to God it's not in our lifetime, right? Because I hope to live a fairly decent, simple, fair existence, just like everyone else. But if the war is brought to me, and my front door and my neighbors are like, Hey Raj, we're all getting out of here because there is a, there is a crew of like a thousand people at the end of the block and they've posted up and they're knocking on doors. We're out of here. Right. That savage has to turn on or that, that explorer that, that has to shift all of a sudden. And you got to say, okay, grab your stuff, whatever's most valuable to you. Here we go. Onward, right? Complete shift. And, and that's an extreme example. For everything else, you've got to have the same mechanism. It's the same mechanism. It's the same code, except there's different data sets. There's different values coming in for different things. And right now, right, the, the newest code coming in for me is, and the podcast, get some water and breakfast because I'm hungry. It's the same. Understood. It's the same mechanism, right? That savage is coming out and he's hungry. So it's like, oh, eggs, toast. Yes. <laughs> it's the same, it's the same mechanism. I should be able to shift that appropriately. But if a new, more severe data set comes in and says, Hey, you've lost your job. You no longer make the same income. You your stocks fell through the roof. You know, you're 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 who knows? You're on lockdown now. 
You can no longer go to a restaurant and eat. You can't actually make the same decisions you used to make. That's actually what is said in every, every data set. You can no longer ride off the previous truth. It's time to switch. Which path would you prefer? It's like one of those books with a bunch of different stories and you hit a page and then it sends you to another part of the adventure based on what you decided. That's, life, that's all life ever is, right? So we want to make the best decision possible. Which decision? Well, that's a difficult choice. And it's made even more complex with the people involved, with the timing, with the out, potential outcomes. And that's what, that's, that's what Aristotle said. Life is difficult because of the decisions we have to make at the time we have to make them with the people we have to make them with. But that is the challenge. And whoever is game for the challenge is probably going to play the best. I'm going to end it there. Yep. Rokas, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Raj, as well. Um, Jake, I appreciate those questions. I'm going to tell Jake to listen to this one. All listeners, thank you. All people of the world, thank you. And we will see you next week.